Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. Didn't already receive an outline sheet. I see our ushers are prepared to put one in your hands this evening as we take our Bibles and turn to 2 Samuel, the 23rd chapter. I love it when we have a song service and I hear being reflected in the songs, the very themes that will be considered as we open our Bible together. And this evening, you're going to note that we're speaking on facing the giant of service, having just sung together, give me, Lord, a servant's heart. In fact, Dr. Kevin and those upstairs, I think it'd be well for us to conclude the service with that very same song. It fits so well with the message that we find this evening from 2 Samuel, the 23rd chapter. We begin our reading in verse 8, 2 Samuel 23, 2 Samuel 23, beginning in verse 8, we discover what it means to face our giants, looking carefully at the life of David. We're in 2 Samuel 23, beginning in verse 8. Now these be the names of the mighty men whom David had, the Tachmanite that sat in the seat, chief among the captains, the same was Adino, the Esnite. He lift up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. And after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Ahoahite, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines that were there gathered together to battle and the men of Israel were gone away. He arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary, his hand clave under the sword. The Lord wrought a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to spoil. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Hararite. And the Philistines were gathered together into a troop, where it was a piece of ground full of lentils or beans. The people fled from the Philistines, but he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines. And the Lord wrought a great victory. And three of the thirty chief went down and came to David in the harvest time under the cave of Adullam. And the troop of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Rephaim. And David was then in a hold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines, and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it, and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things did these three mighty men. And Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruah, was chief among, the, among three. And he lifted up his spear against 300 and slew them and had the name among them. Was he not most honorable of the three? Therefore he was their captain. Howbeit he attained not unto the first three. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Kabzeel, who had done many acts, he slew two lion-like men of Moab. He went down also and slew a lion in the midst of a pit in the time of snow. They slew an Egyptian, a goodly man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but he went down to him with a staff and plucked the spear out of the Egyptian's hands and slew him with his own spear. These things did Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and had the name among 
the mighty man. Let's ask the Lord to bless as we look into his word this evening. Father, I pray that you'd use this obscure text to challenge us this evening in a very real way to stand. And having done all to stand, stand, having our loins girt about with truth, and in our hands, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Lord, help our knees to be lifted up and our hands that hang down, that we turn in the way and stride forward with joy, knowing that we serve a great King. And the task is large, Lord, but the strength and the grace that we sang about this evening is real. It's only by your grace. So with reliance upon your grace, with the desire to be filled with your spirit, with the desire to be faithful to your command, help us this evening to look at this field of servants and be challenged to do all we can to continue faithful for the Lord. For it's in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. There are stories of many great champions in God's Word. And one thing that you'll notice about the great champions that are recorded is often they're accompanied with others. For instance, Moses had Joshua and Caleb and Aaron as his servants and co-ministers. Elijah, why the Lord gave him Elisha to pour water on his hands. The Apostle Paul, when he traveled in church planting and missionary endeavor, never sought to travel alone, but rather would travel with Barnabas and Silas and Luke and Mark. You see, great service in God's Word is seldom accomplished alone. The old songwriter said, like a mighty army moves the church of God. Brothers, we are treading where the saints have trod. We are all united, all one body we. One in hope, one in doctrine, one in charity. This evening, we open our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 23. What we have before us is really an Old Testament Hall of Fame. David oversaw a large army. David's army was a standing army of 288,000 men, 24,000 actively serving each month, according to 1 Chronicles chapter 27 and verse 1. Along with the standing army, David had others who served him in military service, if you will. He had personal bodyguards. The Cherethites and the Pelethites served as the bodyguards of David, and you can read about them in 2 Samuel chapter 8. To manage his military, David, of course, had what we would in modern terms call generals. In fact, he had 12 generals. Not surprisingly, eight of the 12 generals were from his own tribe. They were men of the tribe of Judah. From this great army, that served alongside David. The Spirit of God in 2 Samuel chapter 23 lists for us the names of 37 of his most valiant warriors. 37 who stood with David during difficult times. And the escapades and the heroics of these that we consider this evening challenge us. We tonight who are involved in facing off against the giant of service. Would you serve the Lord? Would you be valiant in service? Then let me commend to you the chapter to which we've turned this evening. We've just come through missions month. I hope your heart's been stirred and encouraged as my heart has been. 
What a blessing it's been to hear the testimonies of those who have answered the call of God to go to places near and far. What a blessing it's been for our church family to be challenged with a faith promise commitment and see once again that as we head into a new year of serving alongside and supporting missionary endeavor, that there are those here in this place who are encouraged to participate in sending the gospel out into the foreign fields. I attended this weekend a missions board meeting of a mission agency whose board I've served for around 30 years. As we sat together, a report was given. There are over 300 missionaries who serve in this mission agency. We were told that between 35 and 40% of those missionaries who are serving in this mission agency will see retirement age come within the next five years. And as we were being told that, of course, the challenge was given. Who will rise up? Who will be the next? Who will take the sword in hand and go forward to serve the Lord? We're serving in a time we've been told and we are actually experiencing in which fewer and fewer people are standing forward to serve the Lord, whether it be in pastoral ministry or in Christian education. So as we turn this evening to 2 Samuel 23, we have a passage that ought to draw our attention. We come to discover in 2 Samuel 23 that the battle is not won by the individuals. The battle is won by the group. Often I share testimonies because my heart is stirred when I read of what the Lord is doing in Myanmar through the ministry of Brother Nong Kop. The courage that he's exhibited during COVID compounded by the courage that was necessary to live through a coup in the land of Myanmar and to see people in his own village killed and shot in the streets. And to hear that he's put up a speaker on top of his building and sharing the gospel in his village and opening his school, even at great risk. I've shared testimony of Karen Hall, one of my favorite missionaries, because I've known her since she was a child. How she lives in the middle of a village in Papua New Guinea, in a place where other missionary couples and men were fearful to go. How she's working to translate the Bible into the language of Kiari in the village where she serves. And her heroism is certainly equal to that of Brother Kopp. We pray, as we should, for Brother Abu Mikael, who serves the Lord in Lebanon. We recall not long ago seeing the great explosion of the port there in Beirut and knowing of the escalation of violence among the population in Lebanon and the constant economic challenges that are being faced. We look at the heroics of these individuals and we're stirred to pray. But folks, don't forget that their heroics will never be what they ought to be without the valiant army that stands behind, not just to supply financially, but in prayer, but also to stand forward and to serve in whatever way possible. As I open the passage this evening, I'm reminded that God's work goes forward where there are no weak links. In the passage this evening, we see these valiant ones. And I'm stirred by the interesting background that they display. Remember now, when we come to 2 Samuel 23, this passage is written to celebrate the accomplishments of King David. And those who are named in this passage were trained by King David. They were empowered by King David. They same, had the same heart for the kingdom that David had. 
But on this occasion, their names are listed for us with just a few of the things that they accomplished. And I'm reminded as I turn to this passage that one day we'll stand before the great King of Kings. We long to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We long for the day of seeing those rewards that he has promised and knowing the blessing of the victory that's been won. And for every individual heroic that has been accomplished, for every individual who has done much for the Lord, all glory and all praise and all honor will be given to Jesus Christ, whose example we but follow. But the Spirit of God memorializes the lives of these, the servants of David, reminding us, I believe, that one day every man will have praise of God. That's exactly what 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 5 says, that one day every man will have praise of God. Notice with me that the servants were diverse by way of background. David's servants were from different tribes. They were from different cities. They were from different places. They differed in the skill sets that they had, some with spears, some with bows, some with horses. Some were strategists. Some were powerful in bodily frame. God delights in involving a great variety of people in ministry. He involves the old. He involves the young. He involves the wealthy and the not so wealthy. He involves the educated and the uneducated. He involves the white collar and the blue collar. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says in verse 7 that every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner, another after that. And the Spirit of God divides to every man, according to 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 11, severally as he wills. There's always diversity in the work of the Lord, and certainly that's reflected here. We find in this passage some who do great heroics with very few tools. And sometimes we in ministry, those who involve themselves in the service of the king, ask ourselves the question, what do I have? And we ought to hear the stirring of the Spirit this evening who asked Moses, what is that in your hand? And Moses responds, a rod. And you recall how much God can do with a simple rod. The songwriter said, our talents may be few and these may be small, but unto him is due, our best are all. These servants in this passage experienced difficulties along the way. Take your Bibles and come back with me to 1 Samuel chapter 22. 1 Samuel chapter 22. And let's see how the servants of David begin to rally around their great general. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, we read beginning in verse 1, that David, while on the run from Saul, departed thence and escaped. 1 Samuel 22 and verse 1. He escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him, and every one that was in distress, and every one that was in debt, and every one that was discontented gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them. There were with him about 400 men. David's army began, if you will, as an army of vagabonds, of those individuals in his culture who were going through great distressing times. They gathered around David, who was going through ultimately a great distressing time, on the run from King Saul and King Saul's army. But as they're gathering together, they're all experiencing together the school of hard knocks. And I would submit to you that some of the greatest champions for the Lord 
in preparation for service of the Lord, find themselves going through the school of hard knocks, if you will. Even the Apostle Paul would say, I die daily. That he'd wrestle in the flesh. And the Apostle Paul would write in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. As I sat at the table this week at the mission board meeting that I just mentioned, a pastor at the table, whom I've known for many years, spoke of the new director of the mission agency. He remembered when he was born. He said, I recall 42 years ago when the man that's recently been elected to be the head of our mission agency was born. It was evident, even at his birth, that there was an abnormality about him. Ultimately, the growth of his arms, both of them, would be severely stunted. And then he said this, and I remember someone saying, a godly man in the church having heard of this little one and the challenges this little one was about to go through in development. God must have a special purpose for that little guy. And he said, now these 42 years later, to be part of a board that's voting for him to be our executive director, what a thrilling thing to consider. And how true it is that God, in putting together his army, his valiant ones, often allows those who will serve him best to know some of the greatest of difficulties. But I want you to notice back in 2 Samuel 23 that all of these that are spoken of decided to serve. They were not constrained to serve. Of their own volition, they made their own decision. They would serve alongside David. How do we know? Hey, this nation had recently been through a coup itself. Absalom had drawn away others to himself. But these are David's mighty men who are spoken of here. These are those who had decided of their own will that they would serve the king. And can I ask you a question this evening? I appreciated Pastor Brandon sharing about camp and the blessing camp has been in his life. And I'm sure that same testimony could be found around this place from many who have gathered here. The question is this, can you recall the time in your life when you committed yourself to serve the Lord? Have you been sincere when at different times in your life you've been invited to sing the song, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back? Have you surrendered your life as a living sacrifice to the Lord? And yet you find yourself tired, weary, even in well-doing. You find yourself sometimes frustrated by confusion and challenge and tension. Go back to that point of decision. I've been reading and praying for a young lady who's serving right now in Poland most of the time. I first met her when I was on a mission trip to Cambodia with my son Caleb. At that time, she was a teenager growing up in a missionary family in Cambodia. Then I met her along the way when she served the Lord up in Wisconsin at Camp Joy. Several summers I would see her there. And then when I, in October, was in Ukraine, she was there. It's like she's everywhere. And I commented to her, Rebecca, it's good to see you here. And she said, you know, Pastor Phelps, the Lord has drawn me to Ukraine as a missionary, and I'm loving the ministry here with Brother Derek. Of course, things have happened in Ukraine, and Rebecca left Ukraine as she needed to do 
to find herself living in Poland, but she hasn't left ministry. For the last two and a half months, she's been making excursions from Poland where she buys supplies to bring them across the border into Ukraine, where they're packed up and sent to the 96 pastors who have been trained in the Slavic Baptist ministry in order to get food and equipment and supplies into the Christians so that they can not only survive but share the gospel in Ukraine. For the last two and a half months, she has not had a day off. For the last two and a half months, she's been crossing the border at great peril, driving on the roads of Ukraine at great risk because she believes this is the call of God in her life. She made a choice, and she meant it when she said, no turning back. How many of us need to be challenged regularly when the evil spirit of weariness whispers in our ear, I don't know if I can go any further. We need to look at these and know that their backgrounds are much like ours. Diverse backgrounds, going through many different difficulties, but having made a decision to serve, they find themselves now in service. And my, how inspiring their character is. So inspiring that the Spirit of God lists for us the escapades of these 37 warriors on the page here of 2 Samuel chapter 23. As we look at this passage, we discover that the first three are named in priority because they seem to be some of the most valiant of the leaders. Then attention is given to another three, while still valiant, not quite as accelerated as the first. And then afterwards, a simple listing of the next 30 names, telling us those who served David and served their generation and did so very well. I want us to look at five very quickly this evening, to be inspired by their life stories that we too, tonight, would be valiant in service for the Lord. The first one I'd have you to see is discovered here in verse 8. His name, Adino, a man of godly confidence. A man of godly confidence. These be the names of the mighty men whom David had. The Tachmanite that sat in the seat, chief among the captains, the same as Adino, the Esnite. He lift up his spear against 800 who he slew at one time. He must have been practicing a lot of video games. This guy was good. He slew 800 at one time. How did he do it? He realized something that you and I need to realize, that you and God make a majority in any situation. Never undervalue your value when you're standing for the Lord. God has placed you in a family. God has placed you in a workplace. God has placed you in a neighborhood. He's placed you there to stand. He wants us to be reminded that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, and we can be thankful for that. Adino was wrestling against flesh and blood. But we wrestle against a severe enemy, an enemy in high places that corrupts the minds of those round about us with thoughts of a different way of doing culture and life, with thoughts that come along that are so strange to us that we think, how could anyone possibly think that? And then we realize they have no foundation in God's Word. And sometimes we find ourselves challenged. Will I speak? Or will I allow the constant blasphemy against the God that I serve to continue unabated without anyone intervening? Adino would have stood. He stood against 800. He was a man who was 
filled with godly confidence. And so should you and I be. Deuteronomy says, after all, in chapter 31 and verse 6, Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee. He will not forsake thee. In John 14 and verse 18, Jesus says, I will not leave you comfortless. And the word means orphaned. I will never leave you orphaned. Some of us can remember back on the 5th of June in 1989 when tanks were rolling into Tiananmen Square near the Forbidden City in China. How out of the crowd, a man who must have been shopping that day, seeing the tanks rolling into his town, with one bag in one hand and one bag in another, stood in front of a tank. The tank began to move to the right to go around the man the man moved in front of the tank. The tank began to go to the left to go around the man the moved. The man moved to the left so the tank could not go around. And ultimately, the man climbed up on the tank and a conversation was had between the tank operator and that man who as yet is nameless. He changed the temperature of a whole day. He changed the direction of a tank with shopping bags in his hand. One wonders how many times just a simple comment of kindness and love for the Savior can change the temperature of a workplace, can open the heart of someone who has blasphemed the Lord, or someone who has laid down a contemporary contemplation about how culture should work and how genders should operate. Are we willing to stand and having done all to stand? Realizing, friend, that we can be content with such things as we have and knowing that he has said he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. Adina was a man of godly confidence. Are you? Eliezer is the next person listed here in verses 9 and 10. After him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Ahoahite, one of the three mighty men of David. When they defied the Philistines that were there gathered together in battle, the men of Israel were gone away. He arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary. His hand clave under the sword, and the Lord wrought a great victory that day. The people returned after him only to spoil. No one at his side. Eliezer taunts the Philistines. And then he fought against them until his grip was so bound to that sword that he couldn't uncurl his fingers from off of the sword. There are some in this room I've had conversation with that I know that you find yourself often weary. The responsibilities that God has given to you are beyond anything that you in your own physical power can endure or through your own mental cogitations can ever figure out. Don't forget that 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1 reminds us, therefore seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. And 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16 says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Be not weary, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 says in verse 13, in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. Dr. Bob Jones used to say it this way, The test of your character is what it takes to stop you. Eliezer would not be stopped, so much so that the sword was welded into his grip. Adoniram Judson in Burma with his wife alone prayed for 100 souls to be converted through his ministry. 
After six years, there was one. After 12 years, there were 18. After 34 years, there were multiplied thousands. James chapter 5 says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. You ever asked yourself why we meet so many unhappy Christians? Why are so many pouting and sad? Could it be that they've ceased enduring? Eliezer was a man of steadfast faithfulness. He's followed in verses 11 and 12 by Shema, a man of selfless vision. And after him was Shema, the son of Agi, the Herahite. The Philistines were gathered together into a troop where it was a piece of ground full of beans, lentils. The people fled from the Philistines, but he stood in the midst of the ground. He defended it. He slew the Philistines, and the Lord gave a great victory. <laughs> to others, it was just a hill of beans. But to Shema, it was the place of God's appointment. God gave him that spot. He was faithful in the little things. David learned that he would be faithful also in great things. And God put his name in the Old Testament Hall of Fame. Why? He defended a bean field. There are some in this room who may feel like their capacity of service has been limited to a bean field. Someone said, I'm only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. What I can do, I ought to do, and what I ought to do, I will do by God's grace. May God give us that same resolve that by His grace, the small task of the large, that we will be faithful. Abishai is the next one that I would have you consider. For in verse 13, and three of the thirty chief went down and came to David in the harvest time under the cave of Adullam. And the troop of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Raphaim. And David was then in hold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it on the ground. He said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things did the three mighty men, and Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zariah, was chief among those three. Abishai. He heard David. In an inadvertent moment, perhaps David was there in the cave and perhaps it was hot and dry. And on a thirsty day, David longed for a cup of water from the well of his hometown. Oh, that I could drink of the waters of Bethlehem. Taking the king's wish as his command, Abishai, this man of loyal initiative, takes two others and they find themselves sneaking into Bethlehem among the enemies to bring back just some water for David. David finds the moment so moving. He recognizes the folly, it seems, of his desire. What was I thinking, even speaking my wishes like that to men who are so loyal? He recognized the sacredness of their sacrifice, and he displayed the sacredness of that sacrifice by humbly pouring out that water before his friends. 
we have a wonderful picture here of a loving Lord who recognizes specifically those who almost intuitively find His desires to be their commands, who listen to the still small voice of the Spirit and act upon the wishes of our great Master. Folks, you realize we've recently come through, I think, what seems to be at least the worst part of COVID. During this time, there are those who have been challenged about faithfully serving the Lord in the midst of a land of fear. There have been those who have been challenged about faithfully continuing with commitments that for many have been lifelong. What a special blessing to realize that when we sometimes, almost intuitively, but always through initiative that the Spirit of God gives, willingly serve the Lord to realize that He receives such sacrifices and He receives them so lovingly and so kindly. Our love for the Lord is tested by the little things. Our love for the Lord is tested by our calendars. Our love for the Lord is tested by our priorities. Our love for the Lord is tested by our desires for the things of the world and the flesh and, yes, even the devil. But how good to know when our desires of heart are given to Him. He displays the sacredness of those gifts for others to see and commends those who serve Him well. Benaiah is the last man I'd have you consider in this passage. In verse 20, we read of some of the heroism of Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Kabzeel, who had done many acts. He slew two lion-like men of Moab. He went down into the pit and slew a lion in the midst of the pit in a time of snow. He slew an Egyptian, a goodly man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but he went down to him with a staff and plucked the spear out of the Egyptian's hands and slew him with his own spear. I wonder when Benaiah told his story of his escapades against the two and against the Egyptian, against the lion. I wonder if Adino was nearby and he said, yeah, I took out 800 with a spear myself. I read of this man and think, what courage, unmatched courage. Benaiah seems seeming seemingly knew no fear. Where there was a job to do, he was all in. Did you know that 63 times in the King James Version of the Bible, you read the two monosyllables side by side, fear not? The first time you read the words fear not in the, in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1. Abraham has just intervened for his nephew Lot. He got himself involved with a battle with Chedorlaomer and the kings of Sodom. He brings back the spoil, and he realizes he brings back the spoil, having fought these kings of the north, that he's coming back to live with his 318 trained servants in tents. It was intense, but they were living in tents. They had no walls to surround them. They had no sure harbor into which they would enter. And on that occasion, God appeared to Abraham and said, Fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield. I am thy great reward. And the last time you'll find the words, Fear not, in the Bible, you'll find them in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 17, where the Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrected one, with hair of white and his robes of white, wrapped around with a girdle of gold, 
And eyes of a flame of fire appears to John the Baptist on the Isle of Patmos. And he says to John the Baptist, fear not, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the last. Are you exhausted? You find yourself sometimes thinking, I don't know if I can get another Sunday school lesson prepared. I don't know if I can go to work again tomorrow. I don't know if I can correct that wayward child again. Are you emotionally spent? Do you feel like you're working on spiritual fumes? Hebrews chapter 12 says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy before him that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against yourself, lest you be weary and faint in your mind. Listen, you have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin. The Spirit of God's challenge to all of us is to continue, to continue, to continue. Behold, we count them happy which endure. And we find them forlorn who quit. I've been enjoying reading the biography of Dr. Whitcomb. I smile as I read it because it talks of some of his wit witticisms and humor. One of my favorites was always when dear old Dr. Whitcomb would come into the services up in his 80s and 90s, especially on cold Sundays, he'd take his coat off and he'd say to me, Pastor Phelps, I can't wait to get to heaven and tell the Apostle Paul how hard I've had it. What wonderful godly perspective. What wonderful godly perspective. And remember, this passage is speaking of a time when these mighty men are being recognized for their accomplishments. And the Word of God promises to those who serve an incredible reward. And I realize even as I share those words that there are some who over the years have tended to push back about the concept of reward. We shouldn't give candy to our children for memorizing verses. After all, they'll be incentivized to believe that the only time they should memorize a verse is if they get something for it. Sorry, but I don't think it's possible to memorize a verse and not get something for it. I get stronger in the Lord for it. In fact, I get heavenly reward for it. Lay not for yourselves treasure on our earth where moth and rust corrupt. And I understand that we don't want to incentivize through carnal means. But we ought to understand that the Word of God is filled with statements of reward. When the Lord comes, Isaiah chapter 62 says in verse 11, Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the end of the world, Say ye to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation cometh. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work is with him. Matthew chapter 5 reminds us, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says in verse 8, Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his reward according to his own labor. Now the reward of these was personal. Their names are listed. They're not obscured. They're always remembered. And Luke chapter 10 says in verse 20, Notwithstanding, rejoice not in this, that the spirits are subject unto you. But the Lord speaking to his disciples says, But rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. 
The rewards were eternal. Because God's Word is eternal, the names of these have become eternalized. And even so, because there is a book of life, the names of all who have served the Lord have become eternalized. Matthew Henry looks at Samuel chapter 23 and gives careful attention to this chapter, challenging those who have skipped over it in their devotions to slow down. He says, 2 Samuel 23 is in God's Word for many purposes. First, to honor David, who commissioned and trained and trusted these great servants. Second, to honor the laborers. Proverbs chapter 10 says, after all, the memory of the just is blessed. Third, to excite us to follow them. Even so, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11 says, these things happened unto them for our examples. And then to remind us of this, to remind us that courage is contagious. Courage is contagious. One of the great blessings of a local church among the many blessings is the blessing of seeing others and watching and witnessing the grace of God that we sang about tonight when they're walking through the fire. One of the great blessings of the local church is to be able to hear the testimonies of those who share how God has given them endurance and blessings in the midst of challenges that cause us to think, I don't know if I could have endured that. Speak of what the Lord gives to you, the blessings that He provides. In the book of Acts, we read in chapter 4 and verse 13, Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, I love that verse, they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with the Lord. They saw Peter and John, they saw their courage and they took knowledge that they'd been with the Lord. Oh, for the grace to stand and to encourage others as we stand. May God help us to be as David's mighty men in service for the Lord. Will you stand with me, please, this evening with our heads bowed and our eyes closed and no one looking around? Perhaps this evening the Spirit of God spoke to your heart in a very special way. I know He did to mine as I read this chapter. Having had my own conversations in my heart about the challenges of day-to-day ministry, what a blessing it is to be reminded that God's word for us in this hour is work, for the night is coming when no one will work. Serve while you have strength to serve, and know that that service is never without recognition by the Master. This evening, perhaps the Spirit of God has convicted your heart of what seems to be a desire to pull back and withdraw from the struggle. Would you confess that to the Lord this evening? Would you ask the Lord this evening to to revive your spirit and strengthen you for service? To lift up your arms and your knees that hang down? Listen, the only voice that says quit is the voice of the devil. The voice of the Spirit says fight on, fight on. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. 
If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast. Thank you.